Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, 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 underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me. Mike, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. It is, we're going into summer in Michigan where I live. And so the weather's great. Trees are green. I'm loving it. I'm happy. I'm loving that. I'm loving that. And and I was just complaining about Boston because if you live in New England, you are always complaining about something weather-wise <laughs> the fact that it's winter in the mornings then it turns into summer in the afternoons and then by the evening it's uh fall so <laughs> here yeah, we yeah, are yeah. this is the worst i've ever seen in my in michigan we went from 80 degrees one day two days later 40 degrees that's the biggest jump i've ever seen in my entire life it was crazy but it's what happens like... when you're in kind of the north you know north part of the country you get that oh my god gotta love it we gotta love it but hey we gotta be grateful for it somehow, right? Hey, we get <laughs> the, the changing seasons, right? Changing seasons, leaves change. That's that's beautiful. We don't get that everywhere, so that's good. Totally, totally. Oh my goodness, Mike! It is so incredible to have you on this podcast. As I was telling you before our call, I'm like, like you're just a rock star, man. You've done so many incredible things, worked with so many different entrepreneurs, and done so much in the real estate space. I'm super inspired to hear your journey and all of that. And I'm going to start you off with my first question because I almost want to know where it all, all originated. Like what really inspired you on your journey to where you are today? Well, I don't know how far back I should go, but I was raised Midwest, Michigan, automotive, family was in the automotive industry, union, you know, work nine to five mentality, get all the overtime you can get mentality. The play, I always say the playbook that was handed to me as a, as a young man growing into an adult was get a job in a union company, work as many hours as they'll let you work, retire at 65 or 70, and then just sort of like live out the rest of your life. Like that that was what everyone did that I saw. There was nobody that was an entrepreneur anywhere in my universe, right? And so it took me until my mid to late 30s before I even started thinking about, is there anything else I could do because wow, I hate my job. And wow, I'm not happy in this industry. I was in the automotive industry. And uh, it was awful. It was brutal. And I was in my early to mid 30s when I started kind of questioning things. And I I thought at the time, I'll have to invest my money. And then the only way to invest your money at all is the stock market. And so I'm going to look up how to buy and sell stocks. And it was like reading an encyclopedia. It was so boring or like a dictionary, I should say. It was so boring. And I would get on like Google or Yahoo at the time and and start searching like through investing in stocks and real and not real estate, but stocks and bonds and stuff. And it was horrible. And I would always end up somewhere else. I would be on like ESPN or something, you know, I would always like get out of there because it was horrible. But if you scroll down on Google or whatever, investing far enough, you'll you'll hit real estate. And when I did, I was like, oh, I didn't know people do this. Like no one ever told me this. And I started reading about how I could invest in real estate, success stories. I was I became a success story junkie at the time, just reading about other people's success, right? right? And I made a decision in 2003 that I was going to be a real estate investor, okay? The cautionary tale for everyone out there, a lot of people probably are in this boat. I made the decision at 2003 
but I didn't actually buy my first property until 2008. So I spent five years in paralysis analysis, self-doubt, fear, all the things that keep people exactly where they are. Even though they want something different, the yes. people who don't ever go anywhere else or do anything else or take that that leap, it's because they're just, they're afraid, right? And they're just overloading themselves with information and making excuses. And I did that. But the difference is I was raised by a Marine. My dad is a vet, Vietnam veteran. He's a Marine and he's everything you think of when you think of a stereotypical Marine, no excuses, no mercy, all of it, right? And so wasn't allowed. And we had all boys in my house, right? So it was like testosterone city and it was just crazy. And the one thing that wasn't tolerated was fear and procrastination. And so I realized after five years of being an adult and not being under his roof and, and wanting to do this real estate thing, that all I was doing was procrastinating because I was afraid. And I sort of hit emotional rock bottom, right? I wasn't like losing my house or my family or anything crazy. I was making pretty good money, but I hit emotional rock bottom where I started feeling bad about myself because I knew the only thing that was keeping me getting up and going to a job in an industry I didn't like was fear, right? It's like that, it just felt bad. And I, and I started feeling bad about myself. And I just said, at one point, I would rather fail at real estate than continue to be afraid to try. And so mm. I took the leap and we bought our, me and my wife bought our first house to flip in 2008 and never looked back. I said, I, I tell people all the time. So what inspired me was your question. Honestly, the pain of my current situation got to be more painful than the thought of failing at trying something else, right? That was the inspiration. Like, I think sometimes people will run faster to avoid pain and work harder than they will to get pleasure, right? And the pain had just built up so much that I had to try something else because even failure would be better than getting up and going into the same job again, right? But I told people when I did my first deal, I made money at the time. This is Michigan 2008 when everything had crashed, right? Prices had dropped by 50, 75%. And so I bought a house for $40,000. I put $15,000 of renovation into it and I made $15,000. I'd never seen $15,000 in one place ever in my life, right? It was like winning the lottery for me. And it was very much like if somebody were to hold your head under the water for a long time where you started panicking a little bit and, and you couldn't breathe. And then you came up for air, like taking that breath, how good that would feel and how you just feel like, like you almost died, but you made it. Like, that's how I felt after I did my first deal. I felt like I was literally taking the first gasp of oxygen in my life. And like, I had just started my life like that day, my life started. And I just feel like I, I'm now doing what I'm supposed to be doing as opposed to following a playbook that was handed to me that I never asked for, didn't want, but didn't have any other one. That gravitational pull of your family and friends and your environment and how you grew up and what you were told, all of that stuff can hold you back, right? And I, I always use that analogy, like I had to break out of my family's gravitational pull to do the normal thing, to get right. outside of that gravitational pull to do what I wanted to do. And that's not easy. That pull is very strong. There's a lot of insecurities and conditioning. And you know, your parents typically, not everyone, I guess, but most parents love their kids. And my parents loved me. They weren't trying to like keep me back. Right. They were trying to protect me by saying this is the this is the safe route, right? Which we all know is not really that safe. This is the safe route. This is what we all know. It's what we all do. This is what you need to do. They didn't know anything else. And so to encourage anything else would have been reckless for them. That would, that would have seemed reckless for them, right? 
the last thing was when I finally, I started real estate, did my first house. I flipped houses on the side while I worked my day job for like four, four years. And because of that conservative upbringing, my wife grew up very poor. She's very fiscally conservative. And for her, like, hey, we flipped a house and made $15,000. Let's quit my $80,000 a year job and just do this, right? That wasn't happening, right? So I had to work within what was real for, for my situation. I had kids and a house and all this, right? So I did this for like four years on the side and, and I made a ton of mistakes. It took me a long time, but I finally got to the point where I thought I, I can make this work. And I told my wife, I said, if I can save one year's salary and put it in the bank and we don't touch it and we only use it if I'm, if this isn't working. And if that is the case, I'll go back and get a job, but let's just put one year salary aside. Give me a runway of about eight or nine months and then another three months to find a job if I have to. And, and are you okay with that? And she goes, if you can put that in the bank and yeah, for sure, do it. So I did. And like two or three months later, I had already gotten another year salary in the bank. So it, it was you know game over at that point. But I, I don't think it's always necessary to burn the boats and it's, it's sexy and glamorous to go, oh, burn the boats and don't give yourself a plan B. Okay, right. let's tap the brakes. You might have a spouse who's not as ambitious as you are or not ambitious, that's the wrong word risk of, you know, more risk averse than risk you. Averse. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Or, you know, whatever you might have a situation. So let's not like put your kids health in jeopardy. Cause you don't have health insurance. Cause you can't afford it. Like, let's not do all that, but it can be done. Right. And so I just stopped making excuses and made it, made it work. I absolutely love that. Mike. Oh my God. So many things I want to flip back to, cause you made some really, really important things throughout that entire, I'm like, hold on a second. First off, the generational curses, because that's exactly what you were talking about, right? And kind of yeah. unlearning all the things that you've learned. And that's the thing is like most of us have been conditioned to this like nine to five lifestyle because, and it's not that our families are trying to hold us down or those around us, of course, they're trying to elevate us. But like you said, it's a, it's because they're trying to protect us Yeah. at the end of the yeah. day. It's not that they, they're trying to play small or anything like that. This is just what they know. So in their world, this is what their way of security Right. So how did you break that? And for anybody who's listening that like maybe comes from that type of family that's really trying to do something different, just can't seem to like move the needle or maybe is just making having that realization of like, I feel like I'm supposed to do something else. Like this is not it for me. Yeah, it's tough because it's hard to work within a culture that you weren't raised in, you know, if you want to put it that way. Like the culture in my family was, it wasn't a nine to five. That's a banker mentality, right? Like my my dad got up at like five in the morning, sometimes three in the morning to go to work at yeah. four and work until four, right? He was working 12 hour shifts a lot. Right. And that was what he valued. And that's frankly what he respected. And so that was what I was told I needed to do, you know, but it's not coincidental that I didn't break out of all that until I was in my mid-30s because studies have shown that most people don't really think of, truly think about their retirement or aging until somewhere in your 30s. You start thinking about that, most people. Some people are really smart and they think about it early and that's great. But the average human in their 30s somewhere starts thinking about how do I retire? Am I going to be able to? And that's what I did. And so I started just extrapolating what I was making, cost of living raises, you know, all that crap in the corporate world. And I was like, I'm never really going to be able to retire and have the life that I want. And and do I really want this? And I started questioning things. And I'll be honest, like I didn't go to college right after high school because I got in with a union company 
right after high school. And I thought I didn't love high school. Like most kids don't love high school. I was like, why do I need college? I'm in a union job. I was told if I got into a good union job that paid well, that's the goal, right? And so why am I going to go to college? And I was like, I took a couple of classes, community college, and just said, I'm out. Like I'm doing this. That's where I'm going to be the rest of my life. Well, fast forward, it was UPS that I was working for at the time wrecked my back at an early 20s, wrecked my back, couldn't stay there. And so at some point in my late 20s, early 30s, I thought, I, I'm i really a commodity in the working world. Like I wouldn't even hire me. I don't have a college education. I have very little experience. I had to change industries because I hurt myself. Like I need to do something. And so I went back to school, went back to college, got my degree. I'm not a huge pusher for people to always go to college. It's not always the solution, especially in the world we live in now. It's way less important in 2023 as we're recording this than it was in 1990 or 1995. And so, but what it did is I had a singular path in my brain of what I needed to do in my life or should be doing or was supposed to do. College did open up something in my head that allowed me to think differently, to think bigger because my parents loved me, but I, they never said, what do you want to do? What do you like? What kind of a life do you want when you're an adult? None of that stuff. Mm -hmm. It was like union job, go, right? Well, college, you, you start dealing with people who are, have all kinds of different ideas of what they want to do. And I was a business major. And so there were like finance people and people who are more entrepreneurial and I got to know them. It unlocked something in my head that was like, I was in this closet, not in the closet, but I was in this closet and I could only see the walls that were right in front of me. And then college just opened the door to like the rest of the world. And I was like, holy crap, I don't, what do you mean? I don't have to do this? Like there's other things out there. And that was the first step. And then a few years later is when I hit, I found real estate and I was like, this is what I want to do. And so for me, college, the cost of college was not the degree. It was the mind expansion that I went through. And some people don't need that because they have families that are real like, progressive and like, hey, you can be an entrepreneur, you can do anything you want to do. That wasn't my family. My family told me what I should do. And that was it, right? So right. Uh, college was a, a mind expander for me. And it made all the difference in the world. But really, I feel like I was, and and I was, this sounds cliche, but I was, a, I was an entrepreneur trapped in a nine to five union job. I wasn't a good employee. I had my own opinions about how we, how we should do things. My bosses never really loved me because I was questioning everything that they were doing and thinking that I had a better way, right? Like I was I was like a lone wolf that was being forced to be in a pack and I just didn't work well in a pack. So I was sort of, I think I was, I'm predisposed and my risk tolerance is off the charts. Like nothing scares me financially when it comes to that. And so I was not really where I needed to be. And the minute that I found, the, the minute that I was put in the environment that I was supposed to be in, it all felt normal. Like I felt completely at peace where I was and I loved it. So I think sometimes you have to try, you have to just do it. It's not for everybody. I have three kids. Two of them are not entrepreneurs and nor should they be. They would be stressed and unhappy if they were an entrepreneur. One of them is an entrepreneur. Her and I do deals together. We just started working together in real estate. She's awesome. Wow. And, and so are my other kids, but they're just not entrepreneurs. They need to be in a job with structure. It's fine. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just not a structure person at all. Neither am I. Touche on that one, Mike. Touche. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for so much for explaining that. Because I mean, like, it's just, it's so different for everybody, right? And like, you're seeing yeah. so many people come out of their shells. And you said something really important that, you know, 
not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur. It's just a matter of like, where do you fit in and understanding what that looks like for you? Yep. Like you said, you know, some people will say burn the boats and da da da, quit your job and do all that. And I'm the same as you. I'm like, hold on, hold on, like back it up a little bit. You know, like I started in development when I was 21. I had backups, right? Like if I really effed up heavy, I yeah. still could go to my parents in law, you know, and, and yeah. make up for myself there, you know, but like, yep. as you get older, you get responsibilities, you have kids, you have all these things, like you really got to be strategic on how you do it. So totally. I love that you maintain that you built your business on the side for four years, and then kind of went from there. And after being in this for five years of analysis paralysis, like, I know so many people that are in analysis paralysis mode right now. And a lot of people are scared of what's coming in the market. I mean, because we've got Three trillion in commercial assets coming due in the next eighteen months. You know, like there's digital currency that's launching. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's launching. You know, pretty soon that's going to affect rates again. It's like dealing with interest rates, and then now on top of that, just a whole slew yeah. of so many different things. New code. You know what though? I, out, I've never heard. I've never heard anybody say ever in my business life, like since I've been an entrepreneur, I've never talked to another entrepreneur who said. Boy, am I glad I waited 10 years to get started. Nobody has mm -hmm. ever said that, right? And so I get it. There's things happening in the market, but right now is the best time to get started in real estate. It just is. Yep. It just is. Mm -hmm. And then in 10 years, you're not going to look back and go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have started early. I wish I would have waited. Nobody wishes they would have waited. I waited till I was in my mid to late 30s. Oh my gosh, I wish I would have started 15 years earlier. That would have been awesome, right? I would have been 15 years farther than I am now. That's awesome. People always regret waiting. They never regret getting started. That's my experience. They just don't. Oh yeah, and it was the same thing. I'm still mad at myself for being in high school in 2009 and not buying real estate. So imagine <laughs> how I feel. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. You, you know? know what? It's funny. I calculated one time. I gave a presentation on like what I wish I would have known when I, I could tell my younger self kind of a presentation. And so I went back and did an exercise and said, okay, if I had actually started investing in 2003, when I said I wanted to, with the learning curve applied, I, you know, nobody starts and just starts making tons of money overnight, right? You learn, you make mistakes. Absolutely. Even applying a reasonable learning curve, the years that I lost, I calculated in real, like actual calculation, actual money, I lost $3.1 million in those years that I waited. It's so there is a price, there is a, there is an opportunity cost that, you know, you think you're being safe yes. and not taking the risks. You know what you're doing? You're losing money because had you gotten started, got over the learning curve, made your mistakes, you would have already been making money if you'd have started 10 years ago or five years ago or whatever it is that people are listening to us going, I wish I would have started. There's real money. There's an opportunity that you're missing. It's passing you by. And, you know, the worst thing, what's worse than failure is regret. And so you get to the end of your life, God willing, you're 90, 95, whatever it is when you finally are on your deathbed. Regret is so final. There's no way to fix regret when you're that age, right? It's over. It's done. Right. You've, you've done it and it's over. Failure, you can rebound from failure. You can fix failure. You can go back and do it better the next time. Failure is temporary. Regret is totally final. And I don't, that scares me. You know, maybe this isn't like the way that you should tell people or the way, you know, it's not the way people talk about a lot. I'm driven more by frustration and fear than I am the desire to be financially free, right? I love it, but fear and frustration drives me more. And so, you know, I, I hear this a lot. People ask like, why does Elon Musk still work? Why in the world is this guy starting new things? He's a, tr you know, billionaire, multi-billionaire, probably going to be a trillionaire someday. 
why does he keep working so hard? I found, and I've talked to a lot of folks like this myself who are very successful. Most successful people have some level and something in their head or something that says this could all go away. Because a lot of people, especially people who didn't weren't born rich, they remember struggle. And then they're, they're always worried. I was listening to a podcast literally before we started talking about this guy who sold his company for $300 million. And he's afraid every day that it's just going to go away. And so maybe that's not healthy. But a lot of successful people are driven by insecurities, frustration, fear, yeah. all this stuff, right? Trying to prove somebody wrong, like trying to prove your doubters wrong is a negative emotion. But how many people are driven by trying to prove people wrong, that they are not a failure, that they're not stupid, that they're not whatever, right? That's a big driver, right? Why do boxers who are super great at what they do, most of them come from an environment where they had to fight to live, right? And then they win the title, they're millionaires. The matches are further and farther apart, and they end up losing a title because they're just not hungry anymore. They don't they don't have that that fear of of not being able to pay their bills. And I think entrepreneurs are that way too. We have to have some level of doubt about what the future holds for us to sometimes drive us so we don't get complacent. Hell yeah. And I say that all the time. I literally the regret is far worse than fear. Way worse. Fear of failure, meaning like like it's yeah. like, would you rather be on your deathbed and 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 say to yourself, shit, I wish I did this? Or yep actually do it, you know, or it'd say, Hey, you know what? I didn't do so well at this, but it led me into this path and this path. Like it's a whole, absolutely. I'm, you're preaching to the choir when it comes to that a thousand percent, Mike. And yep. I love, that's a great way and great perspective to look at it because it's just like, you know, what really do you have to lose by just trying? Okay. If it goes sideways, do something else. Like, okay. Like no biggie, no biggie. And I'd love to dive into your story too. I'm like, get, when you did decide to go all in into real estate, cause you've built some empire. Yeah. So I can't wait to hear all about that and all the awesomeness yeah. and how that was all created. Yep. So we started, my wife and I started off doing this as a team, flipping houses, you know, watching all the flipping shows on HGTV. We did that together. I mean, there's a lot we could talk about here, but I'll kind of give you the highlights. We started having success pretty quick, you know, in our market, in our local market, we were one of the more known flippers and we were, we were growing. It was great. And I started to think that almost I got so much confidence that I thought I could literally do anything and be successful at this point. I'm just, I got the Midas touch, right? Like in my brain, I was thinking this is easy and uh, I could literally do anything, I think, and it'd be fine. And so I got out of real estate a little bit. I started a tangential business. It was like adult foster care facilities, right? Mm. I, I took on a partner and my role was to find properties, get them set up for adult foster care guidelines, right? I think handrails and all the, you know, handicapped stuff. And his job, my partner's job was to bring in the clients, like bring in, you know, the people who are going to live there that needed this adult foster care. And long story short, those are, it's a great business, but it's a business that's feast or famine. You're either making a ton of money or you're losing a ton of money. It's almost no in between. And we started off making money very quickly, lost our residence and we started hemorrhaging money. And it, you know, it, we had to dissolve the partnership and it was like a mess. I ended up losing $30,000 on that whole adventure. And it was only like a six month long adventure. I lost 30 grand and my wife was like, all right, we've got to just stop for six months. Can we just take a break on all of this? Like, can we just go back to like not taking credit? Cause again, risk averse, right? She's like, this is too much. I'm stressed out. I said, I agreed, of course, because it wasn't really a question. It was more like, we're going to stop for six months. And so we stopped six months later. I was like, been six months. I, let's go. We got to do something here. I want to get back into real estate. I know that. I did it. I'm good at it. 
at the time she was a teacher. She's like, you know what? You do that. I don't want to. It's too stressful for me. This isn't, this world isn't, it's not good for me. It's not healthy. I'm very stressed out all the time. You love it. You're good at it. I believe in you. I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader. I support you hundred percent. I just don't want to be involved in it. Like you can keep the day-to-day stress to yourself and just come home and we don't have to talk about it. So I did that. And it was like, she was like the restrictor plate in my race car. I was trying to push the gas and she was always trying to pull back a little bit, like slow down. We're going too fast. When she was stepped out of the business, it was all gas, no break. Like I went fast and I started growing fast. I started taking bigger, not risks, but you know, I was being more aggressive with my deals, taking on more than I took on in the past. And we started growing and I was flipping houses. It was great. Quit my job. And then I hit a point, I was doing a lot wrong though. Like in hindsight, I was doing a lot wrong. I thought I was doing it all right. Two mistakes that I made, and this is just maybe good information for your listeners. Two biggest mistakes I made while I was flipping is I only had one contractor, one on all my deals, one person who was my single point of failure. And I only had one realtor that I was working with, which is fine. But I was giving that realtor too much power in my business, meaning he was running all my comps. I had no idea how to determine after repair value. I was just getting houses and turning them and letting him tell me what should you buy it for and what should you sell it for? It's too much power for someone who doesn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. And so we got a deal under contract. It was in his hometown, by the way. It was in his neighborhood almost where he lived. He told me the prices, totally believed him, put my contractor on it. We started working. Throughout the process, my contractor started not showing up. He started trying to upcharge me for things. He started to try to add things on that he wasn't doing. Like contractor things, right? Contractors sometimes are good at shooting themselves in the foot when they have a good thing. They'll screw it up no matter what. He just got to the point where I don't know what was going on in his life, but he was lying to me. He wasn't showing up, all this stuff. We got through the project anyway. I, and I decided I'm not going to use him anymore. Like I'm going to have to find a new contractor because I'm not putting up with lies and all this stuff. Well, we put the house on the market crickets. Didn't sell, didn't sell, didn't sell. We lowered the price, lowered it, lowered it, didn't sell, didn't sell. I'm like, dude, what's going on to my realtor? This is your neighborhood. You know, you've lived here for years. And he like, yeah, I re-ran the numbers. He's like, we're, we're way too high. We're way too high. Yeah, but this is what we need to be at. Otherwise we're going to lose money because I bought it based on the after repair value, right? You gave me right. both prices. You know, I'm going to lose money on this. His response was, yeah, you win some, you lose some. And I was like, oh, hell no, we don't lose any. Not like this, not with that attitude. And so I found myself getting rid of my realtor, who was a lot of my brain, of my business. And I got rid of my contractor, who was my only contractor. Meanwhile, I'm still getting deals coming to me and opportunities. And I got a deal that I went and looked at it, signed a contract. And I was like, I don't have a realtor. I don't have a contractor. I don't know what to do here. I don't really have the ability to move forward on this, but I signed the contract because it was a good deal. So I called one of my friends that was a a house flipper. And uh, I'm like, dude, here's my situation. I I just had to get rid of my realtor. I don't have a contractor. Like, I can't do this one, but I know you're looking for deals. I didn't tell him the price I paid, but I gave him a price. I said, would you pay 110 at the time? That was with house. That was a good purchase price for the house. I said, would you you be interested at 110, $110,000? He goes, give me 10 minutes. Call me back in 10 minutes. He goes, that's a good deal. I'll take that. I had on a contract for 95. Went to closing, wholesaled my first deal. Didn't even know what wholesaling was. I just put myself in the middle of it and I, I got it under contract for 95. I sold it for 110. I cobbled together an assignment contract, which I didn't even know what they were. And, and we did it. And I was like, 15 grand, I probably would have only made 20, maybe 25, probably 20. That was the easiest money I've ever made in my life. It took me a day. And, and by the time to realize the money, 
like two weeks. Does nothing. Got another house under contract, literally the same price in the same neighborhood, $95,000. I called the same guy and said, hey, I got another one. Would you want to look at it? He goes, tell me about it. I told him about it. I said, how's 110? He goes, I'll take it. He didn't even take 10 minutes. He goes, I'll take it because he knew the neighborhood now, right? I made another $15,000. In one month, I made 30 grand on two houses that I never looked at hardly, never touched, never did anything. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Now, one thing you have to know about me is through building my businesses and hiring people and, and going through all that, I learned about personality assessments, right? The DISC, the Colby, all these all these assessments yep. that people take. Well, I took them all because I, I was like, I, I'm going to use these to hire. I want to know a little bit about me. What does it say about me? And if it, you know, to me, it was like a little bit like a fortune teller at the time. I was like, eh, how accurate are these things? Started taking them and they were like really nailing me, right? But one thing I learned over the last several years is among other things, I'm incredibly impatient. I like things to move fast. I have no tolerance for things going slow. And so I made this money, boom, boom, 15 grand on two deals. And I was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. I've never felt more alive in my life. Like, this is awesome. But I didn't know much about wholesaling. So I found a wholesaler in my market who I was sort of an acquaintance with. It wasn't really a friend, just somebody I knew. Took him out to dinner, just extracted everything from him I could. Everything he knew about wholesaling. The next day I said, I'm wholesaling. And I've been primarily wholesaling ever since. I love it. We do about 100 deals a year. I love the velocity of wholesaling. I love that I find an opportunity, get it under contract, find a buyer, go to closing. Two, three weeks later, I got the money on my account. Boy, I like that. Because what I didn't like about flipping, and flipping is great, by the way. My daughter flipped houses for a while. I helped her. That was what was right for her. But I didn't like appraisers. I didn't love mortgage companies, like end buyers. It was just all a hassle. I couldn't control. It was all out of my control. And in one of the defining moments that made me really, really not love it is, and we've all had this, especially if you were flipping in the 2008 to 2012 timeframe, people, appraisers got real gun shy because there was so much shady stuff going on prior to right. 2008. And these appraisers got real slapped down really hard, right? And banks got a, a lot more scrutiny about how they were picking their appraisers and it couldn't be this good old boy network anymore. And so appraisers started erring on the side of caution, sometimes to a fault. And so I had an appraiser come in my house and I had comps all day long. Like it was legitimately worth, I think this particular house was like, was like literally with the sale price should have been as 180. And that was a very objective, very fair number. And he came in at like 160. And I was like, dude, with a wave of a pen, you just cost me $20,000. Like what? Like this is insane that you can't, you can't tell me that this house isn't worth 180. I've got comps that show it all day long. It's very, as clear as it can be. And he's like 160. And I was like, oh, this, this isn't right. Like I, I'm, I'm in a business where somebody else has control over 50 to 75% of my profits. And I'm in Michigan, right? I'm not selling million dollar houses. I'm selling houses that are in the 150 to 250 range. Right. You take $20,000 out of my profits, you've taken half or more of my profits. I'm probably going to make 25 or 30 on that. And I was like, ah, this is out of my control. This is not good. Well, when I started wholesaling, I eliminated most of the people who could have a negative, significant negative impact on my company. And it became more about what I could do, the deals that I could find, how could I negotiate with the seller and how could I negotiate with the buyers? Like that is way more under my control. And so I've been doing a lot of that. And, my, and by the way, my business took off. I was doing like, I think I was doing 10 deals a year, flipping houses. And then I started wholesaling. Within a year and a half, I was doing 10 to 12 wholesale deals a month. Like just took off because I loved it. I was so much better suited for that. And that's something people have to think about. You know, if you want to flip houses, but you hate managing 
contractors and all that kind of stuff. Like it may not be the best route. You might want to do something different because you will be managing contractors and contractors oftentimes are hard to manage. It's like corralling cats, right? Cats with personal problems, really, you know? So, you know, if you don't love that, you gotta, you gotta really gotta do what you, what you love and kind of go in a direction that makes sense for you. Totally. Totally. Mike, I love that. I love that. And I love that you took like the wholesaling route, you know, and it was kind of the same thing that happened with me. It's like, I, I was flipping and then, you know, love that game. But then I was like, looking at the inefficiencies of my business, I'm like, I can only do so you can only do so much. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like with construction, because there's so many moving pieces to it. Like you said, a lot of stuff that's out of your control and flipping is amazing, but you're limited. Right. So like when it comes to wholesaling, I mean, like, it's pretty much limitless and you're putting deals together and like you're putting all of that together and it's, and it's exciting and you don't have that, those types of headaches. And I know I get this question all the time when it comes to wholesaling and I'd love your input here, but like, what are some of the biggest myths that you can bust on wholesaling? And like, what are some of the most efficient strategies for someone who's looking to get into that? Because most people come to me and like, bam, I want to learn how to wholesale. And I'm like, great, I'm not your person. I know people who do that, you know, that are super good at that, you know, like I know how to put deals together, but you know, here in mass, like there's not really too much wholesalers because it's such a heavy, like attorney state. And it's also a lot of agents here, a lot of real estate agents. So it's very hard to like, it's a very difficult wholesaling market. So that's why I'm not like too keen on all the, all the details. So I'd love your input on those. Cause I'm sure it's an yeah. added ton of value to people listening. Cause that that's the number one thing I hear. It's like, all right, I want to get into wholesaling, you know, when they think about yeah. real estate. I'm hyper competitive. So when you tell me there's not a lot of wholesalers in mass, my brain says, Oh, no competition. I need to go there. That's where I need to do this. But to answer your question, what are the myths? There's two big ones. One is that wholesaling is illegal. It is not right. There could be regulations in your city and maybe there's certain circumstances, but as a general statement, it's not illegal. Okay. That's number one. Number two is I've been a house flipper at some scale. Like I had, I have some experience with that, like more than most people. And I've done wholesaling at scale, the wholesaling business, building a whole, a successful wholesaling business is harder than a house flipping business. And I've done both proof of that. Or how, how can I justify that? My daughter came to me, like I told you, she flipped houses for a while. She came to me when she was 22, maybe. And she's like, dad, I want to do something in real estate. I don't know what, what do you think? And at the time, and and still, she's a social worker. She went to school for it. She loves it. It's what she's passionate about. She never wants to stop. She was not looking to get out of her business. She just wanted, she's entrepreneurial, like I said. So she's always thinking, how do I do more? How do I maximize my time? How do I create income? So she came to me and said, I want to do something in real estate. I'm wide open to whatever you know you think or what we kind of come to. And I said, well, do you want to quit your job? No. Okay. How much time do you have available? Some, but not a ton. I, I can't be somewhere every day. And so we started going through and I said, I think you need to be a house flipper. There's a moving parts in the house flipping world, but most people I know who are doing house flipping well, they're not swinging a hammer themselves as the owner of the company, right? They're hiring it out. They're either subbing it out themselves or they're hiring a general contractor or a general, yeah, general contractor. So I said, what I think you should do is flip houses. I'm a wholesaler and there's other wholesalers in the market, by the way, get in all of our lists. Like you should be looking into all of our deals, making offers like crazy. When you find one, we'll raise the money through hard money or whatever, whatever we have to do. 
We'll get you the money and I'll help you hire a general contractor. And a general contractor is going to be spinning most of the plates, right? They're hiring the subs. They're making sure schedules are being met. And you have one point of contact generally and that's your general contractor. He's honestly doing most of the work. Most of the moving parts are handled by him or her, right? Whoever that is. And so we did that. Again, sometimes when you don't know where the dangers are or what to be nervous about or how hard things can be, sometimes naive people are the most successful, right? She just saw me, like I be, I started becoming successful in real estate as she was coming online with like, what's my dad do? Where is he right now? Like, like So her experience of real estate is, my dad's a real estate investor and we, we're doing well, right? Like it works, it's easy. You know, he's doing, it must be easy. So she started making offers. Like I told her, I said, you make offers, you go on these wholesalers lists, make offers on everything. Just start making offers, right? She got three houses under contract in the first three weeks and flipped them and made over $60,000 within the first six months. Like she just didn't know, I work with people, I coach people on real estate, how to build companies, how to build a house flipping company, wholesaling company, whatever. And I always get, oh, there's no deals and oh, no one will take my offers. And I don't know what I like, dude, my 22 year old daughter who had never done real estate, she didn't like, she wasn't a kid that grew up going on job sites with me at all. She didn't know anything about real estate. She just didn't know to complain and have negative attitudes about it. She just said, well, this is what my dad said to do. He seems to know I'm just going to do what he said, right? How many times have you worked with somebody and it's like they're, they're their own worst enemy because they question everything. They, they doubt everything before they even try it. They doubt it. You get someone who just says, well, if you say to do it, I'm just going to do exactly what you said. And they just execute. They almost always win because that's, that's what winning is, is executing. And she just executed and she won. So, you know, the biggest myth is that it's illegal. Second biggest one is it's a beginner's move. Like if you go online, bigger pockets or whatever, most people will tell you common wisdom is you want to get into real estate, you want to flip houses, or you want to be in multifamily. Here's what you do. Start off as a wholesaler because you don't need any money. You don't need any experience. It's super easy. Do wholesaling for a while, then start flipping. And then when you want to move into the big leagues, go to multifamily, right? That's fine. The problem is there's a lot of bad wholesalers and it's because they think they need no money and no experience. What made me succeed as a wholesaler fast was I flipped first. So I had private lenders and I had money waiting for me to need it. And I had been flipping for, at that point when I, when I switched somewhere around five years, I've been, I was flipping houses. And so when I got to be a wholesaler, I could look at a deal exactly the way a house flipper will look at it. And so I knew what they would pay, what a house flipper would pay. I would price it accordingly. I could run, I could do a renovation budget. I knew when I walked around a house, what it was going to cost to flip it. So I could put together the budget and everything so that I knew exactly what a house flipper would pay. And that gave me a strategic advantage. Most wholesalers don't have any experience. They don't know what they have. And so they put out a deal to their buyers. It's always way too high or way too low because they're just guessing. They're just throwing darts. They have no idea. House flipping is is an easier, if you work a full-time job, you don't have tons of time and tons of experience, I believe you can launch a house flipping business easier and faster than you can a wholesaling business. I don't think my daughter would have been successful had she tried to be a wholesaler. She didn't have the time. And so wholesaling has moving parts. Flipping has moving parts. But the, the moving parts in a flipping business can by and large be handled by a general contractor. The moving parts in a wholesaling company cannot be just contract it out.
it's in your company. It's marketing, it's sales, it's a uh, transaction court. Like all that stuff has to happen inside your company. Somebody has right. to answer calls. Somebody has to talk to sellers. Somebody has to talk to buyers. It's much more active in my opinion and in my experience than flipping. You can outsource a lot of flipping, can't outsource a lot of wholesaling. Now, that being said, wholesaling is very active. I'm talking to you right now. It's currently uh, for both of us, 2.50 PM. I haven't been in my business all day. I haven't been in my business all week. Like I have people who work for me. I have acquisitions people. I have marketing people. I have people who talk to our buyers. I have transaction coordinators. I have a bookkeeper. Like I don't buy houses. I don't sell houses. I don't even know most of the houses that we have. I don't see them. I don't talk about them because I, I, I've, a, I've run a business, right? I'm mm -hmm. not a one-man band. I'm, I have I built a company that runs in my absence and produces seven figures every in profits every single year. I average two hours a week in my company. An hour of that is a meeting that we have once a week. The rest of the week, maybe an hour, and that's just miscellaneous stuff that you have to do as an owner. But very little do I do in my business, and it produces seven figures. And I can talk to you in the middle of the day. That's amazing, Mike. That's amazing. My goodness. Thank you so much for breaking that down. And because there's so many myths about wholesaling and like, you know, and you just discussed about how you took your company to basically the pinnacle of what every entrepreneur is trying to achieve, which is the delegation yep. piece of it, systems and processes and people. Now, what would be your biggest piece of advice would you say to somebody who's interested in building a business in wholesaling or just in real estate in general? The biggest thing is stop talking about it. Stop making excuses. Stop thinking about it. Just freaking do it. Like start doing it, right? And then before you think you're ready, you need to start assembling a team, right? Biggest mistake that I made before my company kind of took off is I had this limiting belief that I needed to be a big company before I could hire anybody. But I couldn't really become a big company until I started hiring people, right? Like I couldn't do it all myself. You know, right. you can you can stay small. It's fine. Not, not everybody wants a big company. And I'm not saying, when I say big, in, in a real estate, single family world, uh, you know, big is, you know, four or five, six people in your company, right? I'm not talking about a hundred people, but to go beyond a one person operation, put it this way. If you don't care to work 10, 12 hours a day, great. Be a one person operation, you still may not get to seven figures because you just run out of bandwidth. No matter how optimized you are, you'll run out of bandwidth. Right. There's too much happening in any business that gets to that, that level. So if you want to run a seven-figure business and beyond, don't wait until there's an avalanche of work that you're not getting done and things are slipping through the cracks and you're missing on deals. Like that's too, too late. You should have already hired somebody. So start thinking about putting together your team sooner than later. Even if it's just a part-time admin who kind of helps you stay organized, make sure that you're catching emails, make sure that you know, you're not missing anything. A part-time admin from the Philippines is not expensive. That's a good first start. And when you right. see how fantastic it is to take things off your plate that just take time, but they're not high value stuff, you'll understand the power. Because you know, before I, well, I was my own company. I was the whole company. So I was doing sales in my company. I am not a salesperson. That's not really my skill set. But I was getting deals and I thought, I'm okay. I'm not bad. I knew it wasn't my best thing, but I'm okay. Well, when I hired a salesperson, the first time I hired an actual, like legit salesperson, I went from doing at the time I hired him, I was doing one, maybe two deals a month. I hired him and with the same opportunities, the same amount of appointments, the same everything. I went from doing one to two deals a month to doing three to four deals a month. Now, 
That's tremendously wow. different. And the, your company is a different company when you're doing four deals as opposed to one, right? And so I was like, for the first time, I was like, holy crap, that's the difference between me yeah. and an actual person who loves that? That's amazing, right? And so you start putting, assembling people in your company who are better at that singular thing than you are or as good or can be as good. Like that's a game changer. So people are how you grow. You know, you mm -hmm. can have all the systems you want, but if your bandwidth is being exceeded, a systems and processes will optimize you, right? And so right. you'll go from being able to do X to doing X plus one, but you're never going to do X times 10 by yourself, never. You have right. to bring people into your company. And so, you know, growing your team and putting rock stars in place, far and away the biggest lever you can pull to grow your company and to grow it without running yourself to death. Love it. I love that. I absolutely love that, Mike. I mean, because everyone's just like so scared. So that was a great tip that you mentioned in there. You know, there's virtual assistants that you can get for the time being. And then just, you know, grow organically from there. And I'm sure that's exactly what you did to get to the point that like, two hours a week, right? You even beat yeah. the four hour work week, like by half, like that's efficiency right there. I love it. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I run more than one business, so I can't be in my real estate business all day. If I want to do what I'm doing, I have a lending company, right. I have a podcast, I, I, things that I do. So, but yeah, you could totally do it. I, I probably don't even need to be in two hours. Right. But I, I just feel like there's a level of of responsibility and negligence that comes with not even showing up at all. You know, that that's a recipe for disaster. So I'm just there to keep my hand on the wheel a little bit. And, and in all, you know, full transparency, I have a partner in that business. And so I put two hours in, he puts in a couple hours, like it's great. Right. And so partners can be great too. It's a whole different podcast, maybe a whole different conversation, but partnering is, is very powerful and I've seen it go wrong a lot. Right. And so there's a lot right. to consider when you're going to partner with somebody, but it does allow me to, I, maybe I'd have to put four or five hours in if it was just me in the company, right? But I got a partner. So, you know, I, and I did that on purpose. I wanted to spend, I wanted to have time, my time back. And I'm willing to right. part with some profits to give myself more time. Because trust me, if you're listening to this and you're 21 years old, you're like, come on, grandpa, time doesn't matter. I got all the time in the world, right? You get to be a certain age, maybe that's late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever it is. At yeah. some point- Money and time are going to flip-flop in your how you value things. And you'll start valuing your time more than money. I promise Absolutely. you it'll happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that, Mike. Thank you so much for sharing that. And now, like, what's going on in your world? You're mentioning you have all these different companies and all these incredible things going on. Like, what's up in your world in, like, the next six months? Or even, yeah. like, the next two to three? Yeah. Thanks for asking. So, you know, like you, I've had personal success. It's been great. Um, and I enjoy it very much. It allows me to spend time with my family. And I love that. I started a podcast years ago because I wanted to, to be helpful to people. I'm an introvert, by honestly, by the way. So if I go to a party, you invite me to your house with 10 other people, I'm going to be sitting in the corner, not talking to anybody because I'm just not good in that environment. And so I would go to meetups and RIAs as a new investor. And I wouldn't ask questions. I wouldn't raise my hand. I wouldn't socialize because I'm just I'm just not that person. And so I started a podcast to try to help people who also wanted help, but they just didn't know or couldn't go get it because whatever, introverted or whatever it is. But so one thing we didn't talk about, and I, I won't make a big thing here, but just so people understand, other than hiring, the one thing that made all the difference in my world of going from you know, a couple of deals, 
a month to like 10, 12, 15. I've done 25 deals in a month. The real catalyst for that was I got coaching. I started seeking out people that were significantly farther down the road than me, not just a step farther, like years farther. And that was how I learned to hire, by the way. So the coaching came before the hiring. The yeah. person that I was that was coaching me says like, dude, you need to hire. So that was huge for me. And so I worked within this coaching program for years and I helped hundreds of investors inside of this coaching program. And so, and it's, but it's expensive. When I started, I, I, yeah. I hired this, this program for $25,000 a year per year. And it's a lot of money. And, and so I thought I've been helping people inside of this environment for a long time. There's a lot of people out there that can't afford 25,000. I get that. Right. It's not right. for everybody. And so at the beginning of this year, I made a goal to help a hundred people reach their goals and started my own coaching mentoring program. And so I've been doing that. That's what I'm really spending most of my, you know, what are you doing for the rest of the week? You work two hours in your business. What do you do, man? So I'm mostly working with other people in their businesses. That's how I'm, I'm spending a lot of my time. And so that's something that's really important to me. And I wrote a book a couple of years ago. If you're cool with it, uh, I'd like to yeah. offer a digital download version of the entire book to your folks. So if they go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash underdog, they will, there'll be a special page for them where they can just download the book and, and go. And I, and I, the book, I wrote it because I would give presentations and I always had this chart that I put up of my company trajectory and it's sort of flat. Like it's a little bit of growth, kind of flat. And then it just hockey sticks at some point. Yeah. And so people always ask what, how did a hockey stick? Like this is fine back here when you were struggling, but what happened right here when you hockey stick, like what made the difference? And so I answered this question so often because of that slide, I said, I'm just going to write a book about exactly. So the book isn't designed for like, how do I get my first deal? That's not this right. book. This book is I'm doing deals, but I'm sort of hitting this glass ceiling. I don't know how to take it from the side hustle. I don't know how to make it a full-fledged business. How do I make it a full-fledged actual business? That's what the book is. It's called Level Jumping. And the reason I called it that is because a lot of people say, oh, I want to take you to the next level. Well, I don't want to take you to the next level. I want to take you to the next, next level, right? So we're level jumping in this book. We're just, we're, I'm letting you skip a lot of learning and go straight to being profitable and running a successful company. So that's what the book is about. And you can get that for free. If you go to mikesimmons.com forward slash underdog, it's yours. Oh, amazing, Mike. Thank you so much for dropping that link and for offering that to the audience. I'm sure they're going to find a sure. ton of value here. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, for anyone who wants to reach you and your awesomeness, where can they find you? <laughs> I'm on Facebook. I spend a lot of time there. I don't go into a lot of social media stuff, but I am on Facebook. And if you go, uh, you can find me at juststartrealestate.com. That's my podcast. I also have a page on Facebook for that. You can go there and you can reach out to me. You can email me at mike at juststartrealestate.com, whatever you want to do. I'm there. If you grab the book and you're on my website, you can contact me through the website if you want as well. You are amazing, Mike. Thank you so much for being here today. Total rock star. Thank you for the inspiration. You you're are welcome. amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's nice of you. Thank you. Thank you. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate, or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is overtime, working like some underdogs. Underdog.